Maranatha to you. Our Lord comes perhaps this week. I want to remind you of that every, every chance I get. But this may be your final day, your final week to serve the Lord Jesus, so we need to be at His business. Amen? Christ had told him in Matthew 19, you're going to sit on 12 thrones ruling the 12 tribes of Israel. And boy, they had high hopes of that. But now they had seen him dead. They had seen him buried. What's going to happen next? Well, what takes place next, we are told, is everything from him so showing himself alive unto them with many infallible proofs. What happens next is he opens the disciples, the apostles' understanding so that they understand all Scripture. That's important. Because Peter's going to say something in Second Peter 3 that we need to understand what it means to rightly divide in order to understand why Peter says, listen to Paul, because he tells us of some things that are very hard for us to understand. Well, if his understanding of the Scriptures had been, under, had been open so that they understood all things, what's he talking about? 
What he's talking about is something that had not been revealed to him, but was revealed to the Apostle Paul. Then the Apostle Paul revealed it to those apostles concerning this present dispensation, this present time that we uh, enjoy in Christ, being part of the body of Christ. What happens next is the, the 12, uh, the, 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 there's a, a, a choosing of the, the 12th apostle to replace Judas. That's extremely important. So all of these things were taking place during that 40 days after the resurrection of Christ as he uh, continues to teach his disciples, his apostles. But they are confused. They are frightened. They've had the betrayal. They've had the arrest. They've had the crucifixion. And all the horrors of the events to come uh, concerned them greatly and caused them a lot of distress and a lot of uncertainty. But the point that I want to make sure we understand this morning, that all of those horrible things that were taking place based on human reasoning all had to take place because without the crucifixion there could be no resurrection without the crucifixion and without the resurrection there could not be a Pentecost there could not be the promise of the Father being poured out and them empowered all of those dark and gloomy and frightening things had to come about in order for God's plan and purpose to be realized and we can almost well not almost we can take that lesson and pretty much apply it to what God is doing here today that he is faithful he is on his throne he's got it under control folks and we can trust Him no matter how dark the days get, no matter how difficult the times get. God sits on His throne. He rules and reigns. He's in control. And we can safely, with confidence, trust Him through, through all of this. That the realization of Pentecost and the empowering would not have been able to take place without the crucifixion. The offer of the kingdom to Israel would not have been able to have taken place without the lamb being slaughtered and the promises of God taking place uh, had the crucifixion and all the other things taken had not taken place. And by the way, Pentecost, just so we understand, is not the beginning of the church. Can I get a rousing amen? Pentecost is not the beginning of the church, but the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, specifically Joel's, Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 3. But it's another feast day type being fulfilled in Christ before the kingdom was to be offered to Israel. The church, the body of Christ, us, it was still a mystery hid in God. And what we can see from the scripture we're going to look at today is the faithfulness of God to bring about his promises to the nation of Israel, fulfilling those things that he, he made, to, made to Israel, but he came into his own, his own received him not, and God's word just bears all of this out. So today we're going to be looking at John chapter 20. Turn with me to John chapter 20. Now last week we took the crucifixion from from Matthew we studied Matthew um, and and each one of the 
the, the lessons, each one of the gospel accounts kind of gives us uh, different descriptions of what was taking place, different perspectives. Uh, each one of the gospels adds bits of information to what, what all was transpiring during that, during that time. Um, uh, Luke, for instance, uh, you go to Luke, uh, it gives us a different uh, perspective on what transpired afterwards. As I mentioned just before, uh, it's, it's during this time that, that Christ opens their understanding. I know you already turned to John 20, but look at Luke. Look at Luke chapter 24. This is not told to us any other place, but boy, it is here in Luke 24. Look at Luke 24. Start with verse 44. And Jesus said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. All of those things in Scripture pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scripture. Then he tells them, begin at Jerusalem and go into the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. Mark, uh, and, I, and I love the things that God's Word points out in, in Mark concerning uh, after, the, after the crucifixion, after the burial, after the resurrection. Uh, it's in Mark, Mark chapter 16, that we've, it, Mark adds to the fact that the Lord Jesus was a little harsher to the apostles than the other accounts gave. In Mark chapter 16, verse 14, And afterwards he appeared to the eleven as they sat at meat, and he abraded them with their, for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. We're going to look at that. You know, Mary Magdalene, she went running to tell them, and basically they went... Mary, no, you just, no. They be, God's Word says they didn't believe, even though the Lord Jesus had told them, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, and it shows that they just did not understand, and one of the reasons they scattered right afterwards. It's also in Mark, Verse 15 of chapter 16, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We know that gospel is the gospel of the kingdom that Christ talked about in Matthew 24. Verse 16, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. Under the program for Israel, water baptism was absolutely required. It had to do with identifying as a nation of priests. That's what... This reason John the Baptist was at the Jordan River baptizing those Jews, those that came, because that baptism identified them as a nation of priests. But look at verse 17. And boy, does this not point out that we are under a different dispensation. We're under a different program. Because I don't advise any of you go out and do what it just tells them they're going to be able to do. Because if you do that, you're going to find out really quickly that you've adopted the wrong program and this doesn't fit today. This was under, the, the, the apostles would have this apostolic authority. This, the things are going to be taking place during the tribulation and, and during the, the kingdom program. Then these things will, will be accurate. 
But today, look at verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. That started, but it drew to a close quickly because God had a secret. He had a, it was a mystery hid in God. Verse 18. This is what I don't, I, I don't suggest you do. And they shall take up serpents. I hate snakes. I hate snakes. Dead ones, they say, well, dead snakes can't hurt you. The poisonous snakes, non-poisonous snakes can't hurt you. Folks, they make me hurt myself. I don't like snakes. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So all of these are different insights that the Lord gives uh, before, before the ascension. But one of the things that I really enjoy about Mark, uh, it's also in, in Mark 16, that gives us some real insight into the Lord Jesus and the forgiveness that we have uh, in Him. But look at Mark 16. And so often we'll, we'll look at this and we'll just pass right over it. But Mark 16, verse 7, the resurrection had just taken place. He's talking to, to Mary Magdalene, or the angels are talking to Mary. Verse 7, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter. I can't tell you how lovely that is. I can't tell you how moving that is. Remember, Peter's the one who had denied him. Peter was the one that, that uh, we see from Scripture just almost uncontrollably, uncontrollably weeping, crying out, devastated, and tell Peter. Remember, in Matthew chapter 10, he, Peter was there when he heard the Lord say, You deny me before men, and I will deny you before my Father which is in heaven. What had Peter just done? He had denied him. So here we have the angel telling Mary, you go to his disciples and Peter. Probably no more wonderful, gracious, moving, loving words had ever been spoken to Peter than when, he, when Mary went and said, the angel said for you too, a year to go. See, it's Mark that tells us that. And, and what's an, interesting about that, and one of the reasons why that I believe it's in Mark and not in the others, remember Mark was not a disciple. He was not an apostle. Um, neither was Luke. Only Matthew and John were the disciples. Um, but still, the Holy Spirit moved on Mark and moved on Luke and gave them a unique perspective of what all transpired during the same period of time. What do we know about Mark? What happened with Mark? Remember, Mark was the nephew of Barnabas. And it was Paul and Barnabas who had gone out on the first missionary journey, and they had taken along a young man with them by the name of Mark. This guy here. They had taken along Mark, and they got so far into the missionary journey, and what did Mark do? He left. He left. 
The reason that Paul and Barnabas had such an argument and Barnabas went one way and Paul went the other with Silas is because they had contention over taking Mark with them. Barnabas, his uncle, said, no, I, Paul, we need to take Mark with us. And Paul said, not going to do it. Hey, he, he turned and left. Not going to do it. It was at the end of Paul's ministry that when he's talking about those who are with him, who's one of the guys that he mentions? Mark. As a matter of fact, to the church in, in Colossae um, and in 2 Timothy, he talks about bringing Mark because he's profitable to me in the ministry. So I'm sure that Mark understood what Peter was facing and that rejection and that feeling, I let him down. I didn't follow through. And it's in Mark that we find in Peter. As we serve a God of second chances, we serve a God who loves us so much that he is willing to forgive. Folks, the horror of the crucifixion was replaced by the hope, the promise of God. Being fulfilled in the resurrection and the ascension, God is seated at, the Lord Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And after that, now the kingdom can be offered to the nation of Israel. And the man that Christ had and gave the keys to the kingdom is the one that's going to stand and he is going to call upon the nation of Israel to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins in order that the times of refreshing, in order that the times that the kingdom can come from the presence of the Lord. It is Peter that's going to use that title and those keys to make the offer. The guy that had rejected him absolutely. John 20, verse 1. I don't know if we're going to get through this today, but if we're not, if we don't, we're going to, we'll pick it back up next week. But boy, with some just phenomenal truths here. John chapter 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week comes Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and she sees the stone had been taken away from the sepulcher. What do we know about Mary Magdalene? Here's what we do know. That she had seven demons cast out of her. You talking about evil. You talking about wickedness. We have no idea what those demons were causing this woman to do how they affected her. But I can tell you this, she was lost. And she was being used by the enemy. And she basically was a cripple until she came to know the Lord Jesus. Until he cast out these demons. She adored him. She worshipped him. She was there ministering to him along with the other women. And here's this Mary Magdalene, this woman that was so vile and infected with demonic beings, seven of them, or maybe it was eight, I can't remember. Uh, you, you can go back and read about it in Luke 8, verse 2. That's where it gives us the story. See, Luke gives us that perspective. And so 
But here is this Mary Magdalene, this woman with these demons, a host of demons. Uh, she's the first to get to see the risen Savior. She was the first to get to see the risen Savior. You know, when we talk about Mary Magdalene, you know what would be good to see? A before and after picture. You ever seen those pictures where they show people who have uh, been into, into drugs and, and all sorts of living, and they'll show them, and they just look pretty pitiful, and then they'll show after they come off the drugs and their lifestyle has changed, and they look like a new creation? They look like a, a new somebody? Uh, I can imagine that's where Mary Magdalene looked. Before the Lord Jesus and after the Lord Jesus. So here is Mary Magdalene. She sees the stone has been taken away from the sepulcher and she runs, she runs and she comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And and she said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and they came to the sepulcher and they both ran together. Evidently John's faster than Peter because John gets there first but it kind of shows you a difference in their attitude. They, they run and, and John beats him to the sepulcher, to the tomb but John stops and he looks in. Peter's right behind him and shoom, right on in came Peter. It's what God's word says. This other disciple, he, he outran Peter. He came first to the sepulcher, and he stooping down. He looked in. He saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, and I can just see him following him. And he went into the sepulcher, and he sees the linen clothes lie. And the napkin, or the face cloth, that's what this is. And the face cloth that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now, folks, I know on Facebook, and and you hear these stories all the time of what the folded napkin actually means, and it it was a a Hebrewism that uh, if the napkin is folded, that it means that the master is coming back to... to, that. That's trying to help God, and God doesn't need any help. We know what it, what's going on here. That's just absolutely not true. Um, this was not a napkin like you clean your mouth off. and This was a face covering. What is special about this, what is exciting about this, is when they come in, they see his grave clothes spread out just as they wrapped him in, the, the, the face cloth or that, the turban that they wrapped the face, which is separate from the other burial clothes, it was where it was supposed to be, still folded. The clothes were where they were supposed to be, still in place. You know what that indicates? Resurrection. Resurrection. He, 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 didn't, he didn't come back to life and go, oh, well, let me take this off and let me take this off. See, that's the resurrection power. When, when the Lord returns for us and we are caught up to be, meet Him in the air, we are resurrected and we receive the same kind of body that He has, well, say goodbye to your clothes because you're going to be given a different robe. You're going to be different, given different clothes. These, 
things aren't going to go with you by virtue of what, and that's the significance. They saw the face cloth. They saw his body. He was just gone. By the way, you know what else is important about that? When Lazarus, when he called Lazarus forth, wasn't the same kind of resurrection what our Lord just experienced. Because when Lazarus came out, what did the Lord Jesus tell his family to do? Unwrap him. See, it wasn't the same kind of resurrection. See, God's, God's word is so clear, we just have to study it to make sense of these things. So when Lazarus came out, he was stopped, and they, he was alive, very much alive, but he had not been the same type of resurrection that the Lord Jesus had just experienced, and you're going to experience one of these days. So they come in and they see the face cloth and the, uh, about, uh, that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes. He didn't take them and just, they just weren't piled up, but they were wrapped, but wrapped together in a place by itself. It was still wrapped just as it had been on his face. Then went in also that other disciples which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For they yet knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Literally, they didn't understand it because they had been told it over and over and over, and they were puzzled. Uh, Luke 24, 12 gives us insight to exactly what that verse means. Basically, they were puzzled about what's transpired, what's happened here. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and she looked into the sepulcher. Oh, he's gone. Where have they taken him? What's happened? And she sees two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why do you weep? And she said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned herself back. And she saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who do you seek? Who do you seek? And she's supposing him to be the gardener. And remember, she saw Christ. She saw him there. This is important, folks. And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus says unto her, Mary. Oh, when the Lord Jesus says, The sheep, my sheep, hear my voice, and they know me. She heard his voice. Mary. Oh. She knew exactly, exactly who he was. She turned herself, and she said unto her, uh, unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus says unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and to your God. Folks, I can't tell you how important that is. Because later on, he's going to tell Thomas and the others, 
touch me. Feel my hands. Feel, feel, touch my side. It's me. He even talks about having flesh and bone, no blood, but flesh and bone. So something happened between him telling Mary, don't touch me, if I've not yet ascended to my father. And then after the ascension, it was okay to touch him. Because Christ ascended twice. He ascended in order to fulfill the Leviticus 23, the waving of the sheaths right after Pentecost. That it, was, it was necessary for the, the priest to go and, to, and go through that ceremony of lifting up the first fruits unto the Father. And Christ was fulfilled. That's a whole other sermon, but boy, is it fantastic. That's what was taking place. That had to take place. Christ was in a spiritual form, which, by the way, I believe until our resurrection, until we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air and we get our new body, for those who die in Christ, for those who are believers and they die, people say, well, what form are they in? Are they, is it soul sleep? Are they? No, they're with the Lord Jesus in heaven. They just have this form. They haven't, they're still, they're in their spiritual form they still, you can tell that's who they are, uh, that uh, she recognized him, finally. So he was in that form. I believe we'll have that form until the rapture of the church, when the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We get our new bodies. Christ had to ascend to the Father's throne, that, that uh, uh, meal offering, that heave offering had to take place before he received that resurrected body that he's going to receive here in a little bit. Verse 19, In the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side, where his disciples laid when they saw the Lord. But he didn't say, he just showed them, it's me, guys. It's me. And then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. This is significant. And it's here in John that we get insight into this. He breathed on them, and he said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Just as God breathed life into the first Adam, God breathes life into this. Receive you the Holy Spirit. They didn't receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They received the Holy Spirit when Christ breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Spirit. It's on the day of Pentecost that they're going to receive that power from on high that's going to call, come upon them. That's why Pentecost was not the beginning of the church. Look what else he tells these apostles specifically. Talk about apostolic authority. Verse 23, receive the Holy Spirit, which means that they're, they're going to have discernment. They're going to, but they're going to know what they're doing. Whosoever sins you remit or you forgive, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. 
You talk about power. Hey, folks, don't come to me and say, can you forgive me? Because there is not a man on earth that can forgive you of sin. These apostles are going to have that authority during the kingdom. They actually had it at the beginning of the book of Acts as they exercised that apostolic authority, namely Ananias and Sapphira. Whosoever sins, you forgive, they're going to be forgiven. But if you don't forgive that person's sins, they're not going to be forgiven. And the only way they're going to have that discernment is because the Lord just gave them the Holy Spirit that's going to give them that discernment. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto him, Except I see his hands and the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And before you go, oh, bad Thomas, bad Thomas. There's not a single apostle that believed when they were first told. Not a single apostle believed when they were first told. But we're going to find out in Acts that Christ shows himself to them with many infallible proofs that he is the risen Savior. He is the resurrected. He is the resurrected one. And after eight days, again, his disciples were with him. So that Christ had ascended to the Father, and now he was back. After eight days. And after eight days, again, his disciples were with him. Within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and we're going to get this kind of body, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. And then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. But blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. See, it's faith that pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, that pleases God. With Israel, there were signs and there were wonders and there were miracles performed in order for Israel to believe because these are the things that said were going to happen when the Messiah came. The Messiah came. And so those miracles and those wonders, they took place as evidence that this is the Messiah because God said these signs were going to happen. But Israel still said, we're not going to believe. They still rejected him. And even when they saw the signs and miracles, they determined they're going to kill him rather than believe on him. And the great thing about this present dispensation of the grace of God, this present church age, the, where the body of Christ is functioning, it's not the time of miracles, it's not the time of signs, it's not the time of wonders. But I've got to tell you, the greatest miracle of all is that miracle of faith that you believe what God's Word says. You've never had it demonstrated to you like they had it demonstrated. You know which one proves, really pleases God? 
What pleases God is you believe this. You trust Him. You've not seen one blind man healed. You've not seen one lame man made to walk. But you believe God can. You believe Him anyway. And God says, those are my people. Those are my people. That's what pleases God. Well, there's a whole lot more. Like I said, I was afraid we weren't going to get through it. But we will in the next Sunday. Uh, especially when we talk about Peter's, Christ coming to Peter, saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I like you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Peter, Lord, you know I like you. Feed my sheep. What was that all about? Three times. Three times the Lord said, Peter, do you love me? The final time, by the way, the Lord says, Peter, do you like me? Yes, Lord, I, I like you. You, wonder, you ever wonder why it was three times? Three times did Peter deny him. Three times. What was the whole conversation about the Lord's next Sunday? You have to come next Sunday because it fits and it just shows you how much God cares about us in order that he makes sure that his word is perfect without error and that it fits so that yet we don't see the sick and, and the dead raised, but boy, do we see God's word just fit and come alive. God does not leave himself without witness. His word witnesses of his greatness, of his love, his mercy, and of his plan. And if that's the reason Sunday after Sunday I can stand up here and go, here is God's word. It is true. Believe it. And the truest thing that I could ever tell you is that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried for your sins. He was raised again for your justification. If he'd have just died for your sins, then he would have been a loving, really nice man. But boy, the resurrection changes everything. And it's because of his resurrection that I can stand here and tell you that if you've never by faith trusted Christ, you need to. the greatest gift that's ever been offered and you can have a relationship with the living God who's coming back trust him oh and he's worthy to be served he is worthy to be worked for he is worthy to be loved he's worthy to give our lives on his behalf amen he is worthy to tell other people what he has done for them it's good to tell people what Christ has done for you. Amen. And maybe that can be how we start the witnessing process. But what, we re what they really need to hear is what Christ has done for them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for its truthfulness. We thank you that it's alive. And Father, we can study, we can read, and it is just unfolds before us as it directs us. We thank you that it was given to us, Father, for our instruction in righteousness. 
Father, we are to understand and may we be the students of your word for reproof, for correction, for understanding of righteousness. Father, may we be faithful as your children to study and to tell. We pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.